Um, good morning. It's great to be with you all, and hello once again for those who are watching at home on YouTube or Facebook Live. We're so glad you're here with us. To those here in person, it's great to see you all today. Um, I want to use. I want to start off with a, a a movie reference that's out of season. If that's okay with you, it's it's not meant for the summer. Do you remember the movie uh, A Christmas Story? Right. It's a kind of a classic. Um, it's one of my all-time favorite um, Christmas movies. It's all about Ralphie. You know, a kid who grew up maybe in the 1930s, something like that. It's all about his family, his neighborhood, the kids at his school. Uh, and and it's, it's given a voiceover of him as an adult remembering back the way things were at that time. Ralphie's number one dream, as you will remember, is for, for his Christmas list is to get a Red Ryder BB gun, right? And this goes throughout the movie where everyone who hears that this is his wish, this is his dream, tells him the same thing. You'll shoot your eye out. Remember that? His mom tells him that, his teacher tells him that, even Santa Claus tells him, you'll shoot your eye out, kid. So at one point in the movie, a group of these neighborhood kids, Ralphie and his friends, are at, in the schoolyard, and one says to another that his old man, his dad, says that if you stick your tongue to a frozen flagpole in the winter, it will stick. Remember this part? And they get into this big argument about whether that's true or not, and the one kid says it isn't, and the other kid says it is. Finally... One of the boys says to the other, whose name is Flick, all right, I dare you. And it's a dare. And then he says, oh, I'm not going to do it. And then he says, okay, I double dare you. And he ups the ante a little bit more. And then he says, I double dog dare you. And then he skips right ahead as things get more intense to a triple dog dare. Remember that? A triple dog dare is a very serious situation. And so finally, this kid Flick, he says, fine. And he sticks out his tongue, sticks it to the flagpole, and it gets stuck. And he can't pull it off. And, they, and the kids don't know what to do, so they kind of leave him there. They run back inside to their classroom. And he's stuck out there with his tongue stuck to a frozen pole. And the fire department is called, and the police come. And this kid finally comes back inside with a big bandage on his tongue. And um, it's a great scene. It's a great scene. Part of the power of this scene from this movie is the way that it shows how peer pressure works, right? Or the way that when somebody says something to you, you're not going to do it. You want to show, I am going to do it. When someone calls you out or challenges you or says that you won't do something, you want to show them that you will. I don't know. I don't believe that Flick, the kid in this movie, really wanted to stick his tongue to a frozen flagpole. I don't think he wanted to do that. But it was after he was being cajoled and, and pushed that he finally did it. So in our scripture passage today, you're wondering where are we going with this, in our scripture passage today from Nehemiah chapter 4, we hear about um, Nehemiah and the, and the Jewish community, this is about 2,500 years ago, working to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. And out where they're working comes a big bully, a school bully, his name is Sanballat. And Sanballat is there mocking what they are doing, putting them down. And he says, you're not really going to rebuild these walls. You're not going to do it. I don't think you can. And he starts pushing them and daring them. And he asks these four rhetorical questions in the text that we just heard read. And that he uses these four questions to kind of mock them and put them down. He's calling them out. He's saying, you guys can't get it done. And so I, today with you, want to take these four questions, or kind of rhetorical questions, that Sanballat, the school bully, uses against God's people and turn them around to ask them to us, to ask them to us today and see if maybe they have something to say into our lives in our time. So these are right out of Nehemiah chapter 4. And the first question that Sanballat asks the people, the first one is, 
Will they restore things? Will they restore things? That's what he asks. And when I think about this word restore or restoration, um, I think about bringing something back to the way it used to be or helping something old become new again or something that isn't working right to get put back into working order. I guess the image that comes to mind when I think about restoration is about classic cars, you know, old cars. Um, and I don't want to name any names today. But I know that some of you here might even have a classic car or two in your garage or in your driveway or in front of your house, and you're planning someday to work on it and to restore it or to get back into, under the hood. And maybe you have a spouse who is saying, when are you going to do that project? When are you going to fix that car? When are you going to get it out of here? Is that you? Or can you imagine that scene? For example, in my neighborhood, right across the street from my house, our neighbors have two classic cars, and they are just like I'm describing, under a couple of tarps sitting in front of the house at all times. My neighbor has these two cars. They are 1967 Plymouth Barracudas. And one of them is a convertible, and the other one is, is what's called a, a fastback, whatever that is. And so my neighbor, he has these two 1967 Barracudas, and the first one, the fastback, was his first car, his very first car, and he used to take it uh, to drive his now wife on dates in high school a long time ago. So it's an important car to him. And then the other one, which is a convertible, um, he said he got it 30 years ago, and when he got it, he did a full restoration on it. He did a full restoration. And I was thinking, well, if he did a full restoration on this car, why is it always sitting right here in this parking lot and not going anywhere, right in the driveway? And he told me, oh, I did the full restoration 30 years ago, but one day, someday, I'm going to do another full restoration on this classic car. This is a true car guy, as you can tell. And it's a perfect image for us, I think, today as we think about this question from Sanbalat, will they restore things? And it's a question about restoration. To restore something is to bring it back to life, to bring it back to glory, to get it into working order. But maybe it will be different from how it was. Some cars have all their original parts, and I get that, but most of them don't. Most cars don't, and they look great, and they work just fine, and we drive them around. Restoration is ultimately a hopeful action. Restoration believes that a new creation is possible. Church, do we believe a new creation is possible? Yes. Yeah, we have to. Do we believe a new creation is possible in our world today as we come out of COVID? Do we believe a new creation is possible as we, uh, for our country as we come through the racial and political divides that have become so much a part of our lives? Do we believe a new creation is possible for our church, even our church? still socially distanced, still um, only limited numbers here in person, some on, online at home? Do we believe that a new creation is possible as we come back together as the body of Christ in in-person and online ways? Sanbalat asks the question, will they restore? And he thought the answer was no. He said, no, they're not going to do it. But God's people said yes. Will my neighbor restore his classic cars? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> But I ask the question because I'd like to see if it's possible. I ask the question of my neighbor with his cars because I'd like to see if it's possible, but I ask the question to us as well. You know, a couple of years ago, my dad had a hip replacement surgery. And um, I remember going to visit him at the hospital uh, right after the surgery, and I was shocked that it was like the same day or the next day maybe, they had him up out of the bed walking around. 
And some of you know this experience. And, and I said, oh, doctor, is that okay? I mean, should he be out of bed? He just had a hip replacement surgery. And they said, yes. For this kind of restoration to work, you gotta get moving. For this kind of restoration to take and to function right, you've gotta get moving. You can't just sit there. The scripture says that if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And if we are to be a people of this new creation and to help our church to limp out of the COVID sickbed, then we need to keep moving. To ask questions like this, how is God calling us to serve? How is God asking us to worship? How is God teaching us to pray? How is God calling us to act as we are formed more and more into the people that God means us to be? The question for you is this. How is God calling you to restore, to put in the work into an area of life that needs it? What is God asking you to restore, to work on? That's the first question today. And the second question that Sanballat asks is related. He says this, will they sacrifice? Will they sacrifice? After all, anytime you want to talk about growth or learning or doing a new thing, it has a cost. It costs us something. There's a sacrifice. Maybe that's the cost or the sacrifice is the way that we're doing worship right now, right? You all are wearing masks. You're sitting socially distanced. We have to sign up and do all these things. We're doing it as a necessary step right now. It kind of feels like a little sacrifice. Maybe in order to be faithful to God's call, we need to sacrifice our time and be patient. I wish I could microwave this thing and get to the end of it, but it's a slow cooker. It's a crock pot. It's going to take some time. And we're in that exact place right now where we don't want to be patient. We don't want to sacrifice our time, but that's what we got to do. So we need to be patient with how long this is taking to come back together. But you know what else? We need to be patient with how long it takes for us to be formed as Christ's people. That takes a long time, too. I've prayed many times for you that you would grow and mature in your own life with Christ, in your Christian faith. But every time I pray for you about that, the word comes back to me that I need to grow in my Christian life and faith. And it takes a long time. It takes longer than you want it to take, but that's the truth. And our church will grow only as wide and deep as our leaders and our pastors and our people are willing to go. Sacrifice like this, sacrifice of time, sacrifice of patience, it might mean showing up to a study or a fellowship to a group of the church online or in person, something you've taken a break from. It might mean giving that some time. It might mean taking on the practice of Bible reading at home with your children. For those who are here with young kids, this week on Facebook, a friend of mine put a, a question out to the community. She said, what are your, your faith formation practices you're using at home with your kids or your grandkids? And the only one I could come up with was that I had started um, telling my son Theo Bible stories while I brushed his teeth. And the good news is the longer the story, the more he brushes his teeth. So it's like a win-win. You know what I mean? Um, and I was surprised that he didn't know some of the stories that I thought he would know. So I had to tell him again, and it takes time. There's a sacrifice that comes with, with serving on a committee of the church. I was talking about that with somebody today. With serving on a team here in our midst. With saying yes to learning how to make the coffee for a Sunday morning, as some of you have done. 
There's a sacrifice to learning how to put up those pop-up tents that we're using for the courtyard or for children's ministries or yesterday at the treasure hunt. There's a sacrifice that comes with reading that weekly email, making sure that you're up to date, seeing if there's something in there that's meant for you. This is how we grow, and I am in this process with you. Will they sacrifice? Then the third question comes from Sanbalat. He says, will they finish it in a day? The third question, will they finish it in a day? And the quick answer is no, right? It takes a while to rebuild. Uh, 2,500 years ago, God's people were um, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. It took them a long time to do it. And that's true for us as well as we're formed as God's church. In fact, it doesn't just take a long time. It takes God's time. Not a long time, but God's time to finish. When will we get it done? Only in God's time. When will the grief be over? Only in God's time. When will a new season begin? Only in God's time. When will we have a vision for our future? Only in God's time. When will someone's doubts or fears or questions be answered? Only in God's time. When will our faith be sight? Only in God's time. We won't finish it in a day, as far as we think about a day, but we have a God in Christ who says, it is finished, right? That's who we follow. And Jesus on the cross says, it is finished. The work on the cross it does, um, redeems the world, and we then live it out. What does it mean to be redeemed people? What does it mean to live in a world that's fallen down and broken, like Pastor Erica said, and that we're meant to, to create it, recreate it with our God? We pray this way. We say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And for God's will to be done in this place, it's going to take some time. It's not going to be finished in a day. So don't stress out. That's a good word. Don't stress out because life is coming back, but it's slow. If you're, I think you're not alone in that feeling if you're kind of feeling a little bit like, oh, life's coming back. You know, maybe you've lost some of your interpersonal social skills of chit-chat, you know, like Pastor Erica was talking about the other week. That's okay. Don't worry if you're watching this at home right now. Hi. And you're feeling bad, like, oh, I should be there with my butt in the pew where I belong. No, you could be at home. We're doing it this way. It's going to take some time to come back into a life that God is calling us to. The new creation of becoming uh, the people God wants us to be will not be completed too early. The, the work of new creation, of becoming the people God calls us to be, will not be completed too late. The work of the new creation of becoming God's people that we are called to be will happen right on time, in God's time. Is that right, church? Amen, Amen. that's right. It's in God's time. It's not in our time. It's not on my timeline. Fourth question, last question that is asked by Sanbalat. This is what he says. Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and the burned ones at that? Ooh, what's this about? This is what happened in the Bible when Jerusalem was conquered um, and all the walls were not torn down. It wasn't like wiped off the map. They simply, they burned down the gates, they tore down some stones, they made room so that armies could march through. They made space so they could dominate this place, and it was, it was open for anyone to go through. So these stones that had been burned during that attack or toppled over, those old stones were lying around near the city walls. And Sanbalat sees this, and he says, it's impossible. There's no way that these people... These people are going to lift up these stones, these burned bits of rock, and do anything good with them. I love this question, will they revive? Because um, 
because they're asking if they're going to revive their situation. And since we all speak Latin, we know that the word revive means to come back to life, right? It's amazing that they ask this question. Will they bring things back to life? After all, we are the people who follow Jesus Christ, the one who literally came back to life, the one who went from death to life and who makes a way for us to also come into new life. So we are resurrection people. We have a God who takes burned down stones and rubble and rubbish and claims them as his own and calls them out and builds us up. I love the words of Richard Rohr, that Christian spiritual writer who says that spiritually speaking, there are no dead ends. Spiritually speaking, there are no dead ends. It means that nothing, there's nothing in the end that God can't take and use to help us. In that way, in that sense, even the worst things, even the worst things in life can be put into God's hands and we can discover grace there. No dead ends. Maybe that's what you need to hear today. Maybe somebody who's watching or listening needs to hear that word today. That we have a God who can take the burned out stones of our lives, the places of deepest disappointment, of painful doubt, of tragic loss, and can revive. In the New Testament letter of 1 Peter, it says it this way, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Jesus is described as the living stone, and we who follow him, even if we've been broken down, even if we've been burned up, even if we've been tossed to the side, even if we've got some nicks and scars on us, we also are being built back up around the chief cornerstone. That's what's happening in our lives when we approach it uh, from a place of faith. So I started today by telling you about this movie, right? About this kid who gets his tongue stuck to the, the flagpole. Um, he's been dared, he's been double dared, he's been double dog dared, he's been triple dog dared, and he does it. He has to be cajoled. He has to be pushed into doing something he didn't really want to do. But here's the thing for us. We don't need to be double-dog dared to live out our Christian faith. It's actually what we seek to do. It's actually what we want to do, both individually for ourselves, but also as a community. Nobody here has to twist any arms, and that's not what this sermon is about. But I'm asking these questions, lifting them up from the scriptures for us, because sometimes it's helpful to be reminded again of the very thing we want to do. Again, of the commitments that we have. Again, of the task that is before us. Again, of the why that goes with our what. These are the questions. Will they restore things? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish? Will they revive? Sanballat believed that the answer was no, but God's people in the Bible said yes. So how about you? And how about us? Will we restore? Will we sacrifice? Will we finish? Will we revive? These are the questions God has for us today to remind us of our calling and strengthen us for the work ahead. May it be so for you. Amen.